walked down there this morning uh, and listened to them rehearse. And God bless those women who are working with them. They all qualify for sainthood. Uh, and all of the moms uh, that help with kids' church and the nursery, uh, there is a special place in heaven. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 31. I know your Bibles normally flop open to 2 Samuel, uh, but we're going to be, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the Advent season, so we're going to be uh, in some different passages. Jeremiah chapter 31, the hope of a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, we're going to read verses 31 through 34. <clears throat> Jeremiah writes to the church in exile, to the church suffering, and he writes these words. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. On their hearts I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have promised us a new covenant. Lord, may we find hope in you this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, anytime we read scripture, we understand that the Bible can never mean what it never meant. And therefore, anytime we begin to study Scripture, anytime we begin to look at any passage, we need to understand why and what the author intended his audience to gain from the, and his audience to be able to understand from this passage. We understand that the Scripture, that the Bible, has only one meaning. It can only mean one thing. It has many applications, but it can only mean one thing. And so, whenever we're looking at this text, we need to understand what is Jeremiah trying to communicate to the people of Israel. Once we understand what Jeremiah is trying to communicate to the people of Israel, then we can pull from it biblical principles and applications, but we must understand the context of any scripture. So I'm going to give us a, a very, very brief and I emphasize very brief because we're going to cover like a couple thousand years of Israelite history in like two minutes. So <clears throat> Israel, God establishes his people Israel through Abraham. And Abraham has a son Isaac and Isaac has a son Jacob. And through the lineage of promise, God establishes his people. And through the 12 sons of Jacob, we have the people of Israel. God brings them into the promised land. They are living in the promised land. God said, I will be your God. You will be my people. They have the uh, uh through the lineage of, of Jacob, through the sons of Jacob, we have the people of Israel. He says, I will be your God, you'll be my people. If you do good things, then I'm going to bless you. If you do bad things, then bad things are going to happen. Well, Israel served other gods, and through the, through the stories of the judges, and through the stories of, of David, and Samuel, and Solomon, and all of the kings, and all of the, the chronicles, we see that Israel continued to battle with idolatry. And even though God said, if you will just worship me, and worship me alone, I will 
bestow upon you grace and mercy and providence and I will destroy all your enemies and drive them out before you. They continue to flirt with and they continue to worship foreign gods. And so God said he gave them very specific and clear warnings. He said, if you do not turn from these foreign gods, then I will allow your enemies to prevail upon you. And so that's exactly what happened. The northern tribes of Israel were t- were taken over and were uh defeated by the Assyrians and they were sent into exile. And then we see the southern tribe, we see Judah being sent into exile whenever the Babylonians came in and destroyed Israel around 585 BC. And so Israel, during this period of Israel's history, whenever Jeremiah is writing, you have the northern tribes Israel and the southern tribes Judah are in exile. They are no longer their own people. They are being governed by Persia and they are being governed by the Assyrians and they are being governed by uh, the Babylonians. They are suffering under exile. They're suffering as slaves and they are being oppressed and they are being uh, afflicted. This is the context that Jeremiah is writing. And he writes and he says, Israel, I'm writing because God has given me a word. And that word is this, that I will establish a new covenant. You have obviously destroyed the old covenant. And so I will establish a new covenant with you. And so that's the context that Jeremiah is writing. Now, we need to understand that there are two types of covenant. There is a unilateral covenant and there is a bilateral covenant. A bilateral covenant is the covenant that most of us are familiar with. This is the covenant where where if you do one thing and the other person does one thing, then you enter into an agreement, a covenant together. This is the marriage covenant that 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 we engage in whenever we enter into a covenant. Whenever we say, I promise to love and honor and cherish as long as we both shall live till death do us part. That is a bilateral covenant because we're standing there and we're promising and pledging to do this. And then our, our spouse is standing on the other side and they are covenanting together. They are promising and pledging to do the same. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to, I'm going to take just a few moments and, and, and take an aside. A few weeks ago, I got on a soapbox and I'll, I'll do that occasionally, uh, talking about covenant, talking about how serious God is with covenant. And God is very serious about covenant. Uh, so much so uh, that whenever he sent Christ and he sealed the covenant, he did so with his own blood. And I talked about the marriage covenant and I talked about how flippant our, uh, our society and our generations have become with the marriage covenant. But I don't want it to be misconstrued that if that covenant is dissolved, that somehow that that is the unpardonable sin. Because what is clearly communicated all throughout Scripture is that more than God loves covenant, He loves His people. And we are all failures. We are all sinners. And there are going to be times inevitably when we fail and when whenever we, we, and, and we will look at this with Israel today. Whenever they will destroy the covenant that they made with God and God will be a faithful husband to them and they will play the harlot and they will serve other gods and they will they will worship foreign gods and they will make all of these empty promises. And then in the end, they will fail and fail and fail again. And so while I stressed the emphasis of covenant, I don't want that to eclipse 
the love that God has for his people, especially the broken people. That being said, two types of covenant, bilateral between two individuals, both having responsibilities, and unilateral. Unilateral covenant is the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant where God said, I will do this. The Noahic covenant is a unilateral covenant. God made a covenant with the people that he will never again destroy the earth by water. He didn't need us to agree to anything. He stood before Noah and he said, I will never again destroy this earth by water. And I will give you a sign of this covenant. And that sign is going to be a rainbow. And every time we see the rainbow, we know that God does what he says he's going to do. A unilateral covenant is dependent upon one person and only one person. So we have the unilateral covenant, a bilateral covenant. And what God is doing here in Jeremiah 31 is he is supplanting the bilateral covenant of the Mosaic covenant with this new covenant. Now, for Israel, the hope of Israel was in the Mosaic covenant. And Israel thinks the same way you and I think. How many of us ate way too much at Thanksgiving? You had, you, you had the meat sweats for about three days. I know. Uh, I, I was there with you. After, after, after about three or four pieces of pie, you think, I just cannot possibly eat anything else. And then you go to another family member's house, and what do you do? You eat again. And, and, and you eat more food and more pie and then and then everybody sends food home with you and you're you're sitting in front of the TV watching football and and what do you do you go get more food and you just stuff your face and and we make these we make these these promises and these commitments to ourselves don't we we say you know what i have got to get in shape i've got to lose weight i've got to do this and 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 if i can just you know, cut out, cut out soda or cut out sweets or cut out, uh, you know, if, if I can just eat one serving at dinner, then, 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 then we'll call that a success, right? And, and so we make, this is, this is the way our brains work. We say, if I can just blank, then this will happen. And we look at, you know, weight loss. You know, we're coming upon the new year and many of us will make New Year's resolutions and say, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to join a gym. And we go and we join a gym and they draft out $40 a month out of our checking account and we go to the gym three times. And, and we're, we're laughing because we've all done this. And, and, but the reason we do that because we say, if I can just go to the gym once a week, twice a week, then I'll be, I'll be healthier. I'll feel better about myself. If I can just do this, then these positive things will come out of my life. If I can just get a hold of my finances, if I can just you know, balance my checkbook, if I can just spend less than, if I can just not use the credit cards, if I can just make these good financial decisions, then I won't look at the end of the month and say, where did all my money go? If I can just fix the relationship with my friend, my mom, my dad, my son, my daughter, if I can just apologize, if I can just reconcile the relationship, then, then this will happen. If I can just be more kind to my spouse, if I can just 
be more loving, be more caring, be more attentive, then maybe our marriage is able to be saved. If I can just do blank, then maybe this will follow. This was the hope of Israel. God gave them a covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And I want us to look at the Mosaic covenant. Exodus chapter 20. Sorry, Chris, I didn't give you this. Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments. This is the Mosaic Covenant. God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to out of the house of slavery. Verse 3. He says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol of likeness what is heaven above or earth beneath the water. You shall not worship or serve them. Verse 7. You shall not take the Lord your God in vain, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. 15, you shall not steal. 16, you shall not bear false witness. 17, you shall not covet. And all of the people, verse 18, and all of the people perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes from the sound of the trumpet and, the, and on the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and they stood a distance. And Moses said, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us lest we die. This is the Mosaic Covenant. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. If you do these things, then I will destroy the enemies before you. I will drive them out. I will bless you. I will establish you as a kingdom and as a nation. And no no enemy will prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You will thrive in the land that I have promised you. This is the Mosaic Covenant. But I want us to notice that it was a bilateral covenant. God said, I will do this if... You will do this. And did you notice the nature of the covenant? You shall, you shall, you shall. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not worship any other false gods. You shall remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. You shall honor your father and mother. Do you see the nature of that covenant? It was was bilateral. It was contingent upon Israel's obedience. And that's the mindset that Israel had. If we can just get back to honoring God, if we can just get back to... And that was what the role of the rabbis became. And so they looked at the law and they said, look, if we can somehow make the people of Israel hold fast to the law of God, then we can restore the glory of Israel. And we can, we can once again be a kingdom. We can, we can once again inherit the promised land. And so as Israel is wandering in exile, as they are suffering afflictions, the rabbinic teaching and the rabbis and the Levites, and, and what they do is, is they create this additional law. And they say, because God's law says that we are to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, we need to not work at all on Sunday or on, in their case, on Saturday from Friday, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. We can't work at all. We can't do anything. And so to keep us from transgressing the law, we're going to lay out what you can and can't do because we know that if we can just keep God's law then God will reestablish us as a people. God will bring us back to glory. That's the mindset. If we can just do this, then God will bless us. If If we can just exercise once a week, we'll lose some weight. If we can just 
stop spending so much money, we won't be broke at the end of the month. If we can just keep the law, the only problem is that whenever you create more laws, all you do is create more opportunities to go around and to to break those laws. And so one of the things, uh, uh, this is just very comical to me, one of the things that the priests would do, there was a law that they had created. said you can only go, uh, you, you can only travel X amount of distance in order for it to be before it became work. Unless you were retrieving something of your own. Lost uh, an article of clothing or a tool or whatnot. And so what they would do on Friday before sundown is they would travel around the, the city and they would leave articles of clothing all around the city. And then on the Sabbath, they say, oh, I forgot my tunic over at, over at Joe's house. I've got to go over to Joe's house and get my tunic. Oh, look, look at that. I, I, I forgot my, my sash over at, over at Sally's house. And so we'll travel over to Sally's house. And because they, were, because they were collecting articles of clothing or things that they had left, it wasn't considered work. If I can just keep the law, maybe God will bless me. The problem is not our will, church. The problem is our heart. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? All throughout Israel's history, there had been revivals. There would be wicked king after wicked king who did wickedness in the sight of the Lord, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then there would be a good godly king like Hezekiah. And there would be a revival and Israel would, would turn from their idolatry and would run to God and would, would say, we want to worship you and worship you only. And that would, that would rekindle an excitement and a zeal for Israel and for God and for faithfulness. And that would last until that king died. And there'd be another wicked king, ungodly king. But then there would be a new king. A godly king, Josiah, an eight-year-old boy who comes across the word of God and, and he says, we are, we are transgressing God's law. And he tears down all of, the, all of the altars. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles <clears throat> chapter 34, verses 3 through 7. Good godly kings would come. There would be revival and Israel would say, if we can just be better, keep the law, then maybe God would bless us. Verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places of Asherim and the carved images and molten image. And they tore down all of the altars of the Baals in his presence. And the incense altars that were high above them he chopped down. And also the Asherim and the carved images and the molten images he broke into pieces. And he ground to powder the scouter and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. And all of the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even as far as Naphtali and their surrounding ruins. And he also tore down the altars and beat the Asherim and carved the images into powder and chopped down all the incense and all the altars through all the lands of Jerusalem. And he returned to Jerusalem. He is serious about doing what's right. Is he not? This is somebody 
who cuts up the credit cards. Somebody who doesn't just sign up for the gym, but they go to the gym. This is somebody who doesn't just say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out sweets, but you know, they, are, you know, they are doing the, the, the paleo or the whole 30. They are serious about this. This is somebody who's committed. They destroy all of the altars. He cuts them down. He burns them. And he sprinkles the ashes over the foreign, over those who worship the foreign gods. Josiah was serious about it. It's not an issue of the will. The problem is the heart. Because I know each and every one of us in here, we want to do what's right. We want to love our spouses as God has called us to love them. We want husbands, we want to serve our wives. The problem is, is that we're selfish. Wives, we want to surrender ourselves and, and, and place ourselves under the submission of the, the God-given leadership that He has given us through our husband. The problem is, is that we're selfish. Matthew chapter 26 Jesus said this. He said, keep watch and pray that you don't enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's talking to his disciples hours before he's about to go to the cross. His disciples have just told him, we will stand with you. We will die with you. And he goes away to pray. They fall asleep. He comes back and he wakes them up. He goes, guys, you understand. I need you to keep watch. I need you to pray with me. They say, we'll die with you, Jesus. He says, the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Paul said it like this. So I know that nothing good dwells within me that's in my flesh for the willing is present but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I don't do but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. How many of us can resonate with this? I can. I want to do right. I even make a commitment. I'm going to I'm going to do right, and I'm, I write it in my journal, and this is what I'm going to do, and the next day, I don't. The problem is our wicked heart. I want us to notice the distinct difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant that we see in Jeremiah. Go back with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 31. First of all, The Mosaic Covenant was given to the people and it was a bilateral covenant. If you will do this, then I will do this. So we look at Jeremiah chapter 31. God's Word tells us in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 32, Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, when I took them out of the land of Egypt. So first of all, the text tells us this is going to be a different covenant. 
Verse 33. This covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. When God gave the Mosaic covenant to Moses, he gave the covenant to Moses, the leader, the prophet. And he said, communicate this to my people. Call them to be obedient. But here in verse 33, where does the law exist? Where is the law written? It is written on our hearts. Church, it is high time that we change the role of the church to the world. The role of the church is not to be the moral police for our society. God's word tells us here in Jeremiah chapter 31 that in the new covenant, the law of God is written upon our hearts. So we as the church of the people of God don't need to go out into the world and point our fingers and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. Newsflash, they know. They know. There's a reason that there's a stigma, not as much as it once was, but there's a reason there's a stigma of living together before you're married because they know it's wrong. There's a reason that there's a stigma associated with premarital sex because we know it's wrong. There's a reason that there's a stigma with extramarital affairs because we know it's wrong. Why? Because God's law is written on our hearts. And so the role of the church doesn't need to be go out into the world and point a finger and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. We don't need to beat up the homosexual because they're homosexual. We don't need to beat up the drug addict because they struggle with addiction. They know. They know they're living a life that does not please God. Because the law of God's written on our hearts. When Jesus met the woman caught in adultery, how did he respond? He didn't go up to her and say, you know, you really shouldn't have been doing that. If you weren't doing that, you wouldn't have been caught. You didn't get caught. You wouldn't be sitting right here in front of me. And they have every right to take you out and stone you. But I, I fear that if somebody was brought to church leadership, that's probably how we respond. We can't say amen. We got to say ouch, right? Whenever you look at how Jesus interacted with those who were broken, he loved them. He shared with them grace and mercy. Those who he gave the law, you know who he gave the law to? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the elite. Those who thought they had it all figured out. The role of the church doesn't need to be the moral police, but the conveyor of a new and better covenant. Notice the language of chapter 31 in Jeremiah. Remember Exodus chapter 20, the Mosaic covenant, the bilateral covenant, you shall, 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship a graven image. You shall remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. You remember the you shall? Notice the language in chapter 31, verse 31. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 33. I will put my law written within them on their hearts. I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34. I will forgive their iniquity and sin. I will remember it no more. Do you notice the difference? Where does the responsibility lie in the Mosaic Covenant? With us. You shall. You shall do this. You shall do that. You shall do this. In the New Covenant, where does responsibility lie? With God. See, Israel had this hope that if we can just be better, then God will give us the glory that that we once had. If we can just do right, then God will, will bless us. And God said, no, that doesn't work. We've tried that for, oh, a couple thousand years. And how's it worked out for you? Not well. You're in exile. You've been conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and eventually the Greeks and eventually the Romans. It's not going to end well. We've tried this. 400 years will go between the last book in the Old Testament and the first book in the New Testament of 400 years of silence because God gave them over to their, I can do better. Church, we can't do better. But God said, I will give you a new covenant God forgives sin he removes iniquity and if we look in Jeremiah chapter 31 what do we do where is our responsibility in Jeremiah chapter 31 it's not there all we are is recipients right God gives. He's the one who gives us the new covenant. He's the one who establishes His covenant. He writes the law on our hearts. He makes us His people. He forgives us our sin. He remembers our sin no more. We do nothing. He does everything. If anybody preaches to you a gospel, if anybody preaches to you a message of grace that is Jesus plus anything else, you look at them and you say, that's not the gospel. If it's Jesus plus church membership, that's not the gospel. If it's Jesus plus tithing, that's not the gospel. If it's Jesus plus obedience, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus said, I will do everything. And whenever Jesus, whenever God established His new covenant, He did so through the lineage of David in order to fulfill the original unilateral covenant that He had established with His people through Abraham. He told Abraham, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless all nations through you. And then He told David, I will be your God. And there will be a king from from the throne of David on the throne for all of eternity and in you and through your lineage I will save my people from their sin. And it is through that unilateral, that Abrahamic and that Davidic covenant that we see this new covenant being fulfilled. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Nowhere else in the Old Testament is the word new covenant ever mentioned. 
except right here in Jeremiah chapter 31. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 22 is sitting down with his disciples hours before he'll be betrayed. Hours before he'll stand before Annas and Caiaphas. Hours before he'll hang on a rugged Roman cross and shed his red, rich, royal blood. And he looks at his disciples and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood just poured out for you. And when he said new covenant, those good, faithful Jews immediately heard Jeremiah chapter 31. God said, I will establish a new covenant with you. No longer will it be you shall, you shall, you shall, but I will. I will love you. I will forgive your sin. I will remember your iniquity no more. Jesus said, I will satisfy the righteous requirement of the law that you were unable to. I will perfectly fulfill all of the law that my Father requires. I will will satisfy and pay the penalty of sin that you owe. I will become the propitiation, the payment for sin. I will will be the fulfillment of the promise. Our hope, church, lies not in that we can be better. Our hope lies in a different quarter altogether. Our hope lies in the fact that Jesus already was better. Now what this does for us, church, is it changes everything. We're not obedient in order to gain the favor of God. Now we're obedient because we are His. It is, it is the, the very essence of our identity. We are changed. We are redeemed. We are new. And that's why Paul can write in Romans chapter 5, he said, Therefore, any man who is in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when we are in Christ, when we have been redeemed, when we have been saved, when we have been transformed, our heart gets transformed. And so we serve, not in order that we may be better, but we serve because we are better. We are better because of what He has done in us and through us. We are better, we are, we are better husbands because we can look to the Heavenly Father and we can say, I am loving my wife, not in order that I may gain the favor of God, but I am loving my wife because I have gained the favor of God through what Christ has done and now I want to honor Him with the way that I live my life. You see the difference? We now live a life of we now live a life of hope because of the living hope that we have in Christ. So I pray this morning that we'll hope in Christ. Let us not approach our lives with a mosaic covenant mindset if I can just do this then everything will be better and let us remember the hope that we have in Christ Jesus has already done this he has already fulfilled everything he has already 
satisfied the righteous requirement of the law. He has already fulfilled all that God has required. He has already been the perfect husband. He has already been the perfect spouse. He has already done everything. Our hope lies within Him. God doesn't want us to be better. He wants us to be in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the hope of a new covenant. We thank You that our hope does not lie in what we can do. Our hope does not lie in our ability to keep Your law. But our hope lies in Jesus. If there are those out there this morning You've been striving. You've been trying. And you've been working hard. But at the end of every day, you find yourself falling short. Empty. You feel like a failure. May this morning you see hope that's in Christ. There's no way for you to keep the letter of the law because by nature you are a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner and you are a sinner because you sin. God tells us that the wages of that sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life and He has given us that eternal life through Jesus. And as Christ hung on the cross, He made the statement, it is finished, it's paid in full. And if we would place our faith and trust in Christ and in Him alone, He guarantees us eternal life. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come in just a few moments. Maybe you know that God is calling you to be a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. Maybe God's calling you to follow Him in obedience by being baptized. Maybe God's calling you to become more plugged in 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 our ministry here. Maybe God's calling you to love your wife better. Not in order to gain favor, not in order to, to be better, but He's calling you to love your wife because He has already demonstrated grace in your life. Maybe God's calling you serve your husband better. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, may today be the day of obedience. During this time of invitation, our altar will be open if you need to grab someone and come and pray. Maybe you need to kneel and pray right where you're at. Don't leave this place today without doing business with the Lord. God, we thank you and we pray for your Holy Spirit to move in this place right now. In Jesus' name. Stand and worship with us.